Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, come before you again, Lord, just asking that you would teach us, Lord. Lord, We have been prepared. Our minds have been massaged by your spirit. Our hearts, Lord, are waiting to catch on fire. Teach us, Lord, we pray in thy name. Amen. Uh, What I would like to share with you this morning is a very practical um, way to study with individuals who you meet. Now, how many of you have ever wondered, man, what would be the first study I'd give someone if someone actually said, yes, I'd like to have a Bible study? I mean, have you ever thought about that? What what would I share? What would I give? Um, Let me mention a couple of things here. Um, This is, you know, again, just kind of setting the stage. Um, I have one particular study that I will give, uh, that I will start all my Bible study contacts with. Um, Let me rephrase that. I have a hook. You know how, you know, fishermen, they'll use different hooks for different, you know. I have a hook, and then once I get a person hooked, I'll usually say to a person, hey, give me one study. That's all I'm asking. And after that one study, if you don't want to study anymore, I totally understand. That's not going to happen, but I totally understand. (laughs) Just give me one study. And usually they're like, oh, yeah, okay, one study, no problem. And uh, I'll give them that one study. And after we, when we get to the end of that one study, at that point, I will then say to begin to explain to them what I will explain to you and, um, and basically share with them, listen, there is so much more to learn. I'll give you an example. Um, two hooks, two of my favorite hooks, which can be used really, you know, they're either people that know Jesus or people that don't know Jesus, okay? Two studies in particular. Um, Let me start with uh, what study, let me ask you, if someone was an atheist, an unbeliever, a Muslim, a Hindu, or anything like that, or maybe even a Christian who, who just, someone who is kind of searching, but he doesn't know which religion to choose. What Bible study would you, would you think of giving to that particular person? Daniel 2. There's your answer right there. Daniel 2. I met with a gentleman uh, day before yesterday who, you know, says, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm, I was, you know, I'm a Methodist, but I'm not really a Methodist. I don't really like following Christianity because every church I've been to, it's just like they're trying to just say, believe what we say because we say it, and they never give me a reason why. And plus, there's Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these other, how do we know what is really true? And I said, hey, you know what? I understand. I came from, that, from a similar background. I wasn't brought up in the church. And, you know, for me to have chosen Christianity, I had a logical mind, and I was not going to choose something just because somebody said, believe this. I mean, why am I a Christian? Because I'm, you know, I live here in America. What if I lived over in Iran? I would be a Muslim for the same reason, because I was born there. So I said, that didn't work for me. I had to have something concrete. I had to have something that I could know without a shadow of a doubt why I was a Christian. And he's looking at me like, okay, well, (laughs) what is it? Tell me, you know. And, um, And I said, well, when I discovered God's challenge, that God had a challenge to all the other gods, and he's going, God has a challenge to all the, what is that challenge? And I took him to Isaiah chapter 41. 
Isaiah chapter 42, 43, 44, 45. Who knows what, those, what the challenge of God is found in those chapters? Call all your gods together and let them tell you the future. That's right. If, if your God can tell you the future, let him be God. And I thought, you know, I told this gentleman, I thought, man, now that is a good challenge. Because I know that anybody can get up and write a good book. Love your neighbor, be kind. You know, I mean, that's no big feat. And I wasn't going to believe the Bible just because the Bible said, be good and love your neighbor. I had to have something more than that. You understand? The Quran says, uh, to a certain extent, be good. You know, Buddhists believe, be good. So uh, uh, the, the, what sets Christianity aside had to be something more than be good. It had to have a supernatural element to it. And when I, uh, um, when I looked at all these other religions, guess what they were all empty of? Prophecy. Prophecy. You search the Quran. The longest time prophecy in the Quran, I believe, is 30-something years. Think about that. The prophecy of Daniel 2 covers a span of almost 2,500 years. And so as I began to take this, this individual who, by the way, you know, loved history, and I began to take him through the prophecy of Daniel 2, you should see his mouth dropping open. As I'm sharing with him, okay, now, you know, think about this. What are the odds of Daniel prophesying the fall of Babylon? And I said, now, let's be skeptical. Come on. He lived in the time of Babylon. He could have written it after it happened. Let's give the skeptic that. And I'm giving the skeptic all that I can. Let's give the skeptic this. But when we get down to the fall of the Roman Empire, Daniel could have said, and after Greece, or after Rome, another kingdom shall arise. No, he says, after Rome, it will what? Divide. And Rome, by the way, was almost a thousand years after the time of Daniel. And he's going, wow, this is incredible. This is unexplainable. I said to him, listen, if I told you 20 things that were going to happen, and you looked at me like I was crazy, 20 things that were going to happen over the next five days, and over the next five days, you see, you know, thing number one, thing number two, thing number three, number four, number five, number six, number, what are you going to begin to think after each thing happens just the way that I said it? Are you going to assume that you can pretty much trust that the other things are going to happen? Yes. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, here's what you have right here. I said, the God who knows the future like this, I want to put my future into his hands. Amen. We ended the study. He said, okay, so when's our next study? <laughs> okay, so that was the hook. Okay, now there may be people who believe in Jesus who, you know, are really like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Here is the other hook that I usually like to use. It is one of the simplest hooks to use to get a Christian into a Bible study. And it is a Bible study on the rapture. Very simple uh, study to dis or very simple error to dispel the rapture. Really, you can dispel the rapture with that one verse, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Uh, one shall be what? Taken and the other left. And you just simply ask, hey, what happened to those who were um, 
who were taken. Now, usually I like to ask them, hey, do you want to be taken or do you want to be left? Oh, I want to be taken. And I said, are you sure? Yes. And I said, read the, read, read the, um, read the, the, the verse again. And, and look what happened to those who were taken. And they read, and the flood took them. All, and then they go, oh. And then I ask, what happened to all those that were taken in the time of the flood? And they go, they were all destroyed. I said, was there a second boat? No. Was there a second opportunity? No. They were all destroyed. And what this does, when they come to that realization, they then ask the question, what else do I believe that is error? Okay? And so these two studies, these two studies, the rapture and Daniel 2, are the studies that I will usually use to simply hook somebody to get them interested to committing to a long-term study. Does that make sense? How many of you could give a study on the rapture? <clears throat> Raise your hand nice now if you can give a study on the rapture. Okay, how, about, how many of you could give a study on Daniel 2? Let me see. I want you to just call the, the kingdoms out for me. What was the first kingdom of Daniel? Babylon. Second? Babylon. Third? Babylon. Fourth? Babylon. And then? Babylon. Divided Rome, okay? Listen, when I became an Adventist, the only thing I knew was Daniel 2. I memorized that study, and everybody I met, would you like a study on Daniel too? <laughs> sure, open your Bibles. Yeah, see, what you have to understand is that Babylon is the first kingdom. That's all I knew. Seriously. And I was leading people to Bible truths just from giving them Daniel 2. And when they're like, well, can we meet again next week? I'd be like, well, let's wait a while. <laughs> because, uh... <laughs> okay, but you have to start somewhere. And the more you give Bible studies, it's the easier it becomes for you to give it. Amen? Okay, so... Um, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to go through a study on how to, you know, we're not going to go through how to give a study on the rapture. We have plenty of material that can teach you how to give a study on the rapture, how to give a study on Daniel 2. Part of what we're doing here is equipping you in a short period of time with the mentality to say, I can learn this and retain it and give the study for myself. Okay. So really the work is going to be done, not here, but when you go home. Okay. So having said that, now I, I have hooked my person with my particular study, and you can use, you know, you may meet a person that you might say, I need to use a totally different hook for this person based upon our conversation. You find the hook, you hook them, and then begins the series of Bible studies. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you, um, if I were to ask you in the next five minutes to write down the entire theme of the great controversy from the beginning to the end, putting it in your own words, how many of you think you could do it? Kind of, sort of. Okay, let me tell you why it is important. We're going to look at this. You have this in your, um, in your workbooks. One of the reasons why I believe, believe it is critically important to be able to summarize. You know when you juice something? Anybody juice in here? What do you do? You take 30 carrots, <laughs> right? 
and you juice it down to like one cup, right? Or two cups. You get the, the you, 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 it's like you're, you're, you're co- it's concentrated, okay? Do you know how to concentrate the great controversy? Because if you can concentrate the great controversy, if you can get it down in your mind, it becomes easier to do what? Share with somebody else. Let me ask you, if I were to ask you to stand up here right now and explain to me the great controversy from the rebellion in heaven down through the entire Bible to the end of time and the restoration of, of, uh, of you know, all things being good and all those things, and to do it in, in 15 minutes, would you be able to do it? Okay? Um, have any of you ever watched a movie? Okay, come on now. <laughs> I know that we are saints now. I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about sometime in your life, have you ever watched a movie that you really, really liked? Is It's still in your mind. If I were to ask you to come up here and explain that movie that you really, really liked, how many of you would be able to explain that movie? Without problem. Okay? Why? <laughs> you understood the storyline. Isn't that right? There was a storyline in the movie. You were able to follow the storyline from beginning to end. Now, did that movie, let me ask you, do you think the, the movie that you watched, did it in real life only cover a two-hour period of time? No. no? It may have covered what? Years and years and years, maybe hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. You know, it, it could have covered a great time period, but they juiced it down into what? Two hours. And you're able to get the theme and explain it, right? Catch the theme and explain it because it was juiced down. So let's flip over to the, to the, the, the analogy I'm making here. Most Christians do not understand the storyline of the Bible. They have pieces, but they don't know how to what? Put it together. It's kind of like a puzzle. You've got certain pieces of the puzzle, and you may have connected one or two, three pieces here, and two pieces there, but as far as bringing the whole picture together, I don't see how this puzzle makes sense. Most Christians do not understand, cannot put together the pieces of the puzzle. They don't understand the storyline of the Bible. That's where you come in as a Seventh-day Adventist. You are, you above all people should understand the storyline of the Bible. Why should you, of all people, understand the storyline of the Bible? I will come back to that in a moment. Here's what we're going to do very quickly. We're going to go through the storyline of the whole great controversy. Are you ready? It's in your theme sheet, and I'm just going to read these quickly because this, again, is not the emphasis. We're not going to focus on this so much in our study. We're going to focus on the first three points that I'm going to read. I'm going to show you, take you through an actual study that you would give to someone to present to them the entire theme of the great controversy. 
We're in a war with um, the Middle East right now, with uh, Al-Qaeda and the you know, terrorists and all those things. Do you know how confusing it is uh, to tell someone that we're in a war, but we don't know the reason why we're in the war? <laughs> Do you know that most Christians know that we're in a what? War, but they cannot tell you what the war is over. They don't know what it's about. They just know we're in a war, but they have no idea what the principles are that are involved in this war. And therefore, how can they really know which side they're fighting for if they don't understand the principles that are involved in that war? Okay, so let me give you here. I'm just going to read these uh, quickly off the, off the sheet here. Uh, number one, the first thing in the great controversy timeline or theme is this. The controversy begins, Lucifer, the covering cherub, rebels against God and his law. He and his angels war and are cast out of heaven. You all follow that? Pretty simple, right? Point number two, a jury is selected to serve as judges against Satan. That jury is who? Humanity. Satan succeeds in bribing the jury. God intervenes, promising a coming Messiah and giving humanity a second chance. What are we talking about here? The fall of humanity. And where does God promise? The plan of salvation, Genesis 3.15. Okay. And how do we know that God selected humanity to serve as judges? Can anybody give me a verse? 1 Corinthians 6, know you not that the saints will do what? Judge angels. Okay? So we have a rebellion in heaven. We've got our humanity to serve as the judges, but Satan bribes humanity. Okay? Humanity falls. Uh, God says he's going to send a Messiah. Point number three, through a promise made to Abraham, God secures Israel as his people and gives to them the blueprint of the plan of salvation, a replica of the sanctuary in heaven. Let me pause right here. The reason why Adventists should know more than anybody else the storyline is because Adventists have the blueprint. What is the blueprint? The sanctuary. The sanctuary is God's explanation of the entire plan of salvation. The sanctuary reveals the plan of salvation. It reveals what happened in heaven. Do you know that the war that took place in heaven is actually explained in the sanctuary? And also the redemption of mankind and his future, um, his future uh, with, with God throughout eternity. All of this is revealed in the sanctuary. God gives Israel a blueprint of this plan of salvation in the sanctuary. This blueprint contains vital information and instruction for, for the redemption of all mankind. Can you, can you see that? Okay, so... Therefore, point number four, prophecies are given concerning Satan's war against God's people and his effort to capture and destroy the blueprint sanctuary. Okay, did you all get that? God gives mankind the battle plans for victory. Therefore, all the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation really revolve around one principle, one concept. Satan trying to destroy the blueprint 
and the people who possess that blueprint. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, 11, 12, Revelation, all the way through, it culminates around the devil's effort. Now, why would the devil be so bent on destroying the blueprint? You ever try to get somewhere without a map and don't know where you're going? You end up lost. <laughs> the devil is simply trying to destroy God's GPS. So, point number five, Messiah, Jesus the Messiah appears, ministers, and is crucified. Israel rejects the Messiah, therefore a new Israel is birthed. The earthly temple is replaced by what? A heavenly temple. And we see here, it's as though literal Israel dropped the ball. And so God raises up who? Spiritual Israel with the sanctuary now where? In heaven. In heaven. Point number six, the gospel. Do you, see, do you see how we've just moved through the entire Old Testament? Moving through one theme. We are now at the time of Jesus. Jesus has died. He's gone to heaven. And now what happens? The gospel commission is given. Satan opposes the spread of the gospel first through who? Literal, Literal Israel. Then through who? Literal Rome. And finally through who? Spiritual Rome. What time period are we in right now? Spiritual Rome. We're talking about what time period in our timeline? The Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the 1260 years. This gospel is cast down by obscuring the truths of the what? Heavenly sanctuary. Error prevails. Is that what happened during the Dark Ages? Yes. Error prevails. The prophet Daniel foretold how long this prevailing darkness would last. How long? 2,300 years. And what does the 2,300-year prophecy state? Unto 2,300 days, then shall the what? Sanctuary be what? Cleansed or restored to its rightful place. Amen. Amen. Are you with me? And at the end of the 2300 days, what happens? All the truths that had been lost during the Dark Ages are restored. restored. And then this gospel. Okay, what did I say? Now, why am am I emphasizing this gospel? gospel. Because there was another gospel being preached when? During the Dark Ages. The true gospel was obscured, but in 1844, this gospel begins to go into all the world through the preaching of what? The three angels' messages. Point number seven, end of the 2300 days, sanctuary truths lost during the dark ages are restored. God's last day people go to take the gospel into all the world. It is a warning to find safety in the ark. Of what? The covenant. the covenant. You remember how Moses was telling the people, get in the ark, get in the ark, get in the ark? Guess what the message of God's last day people is? <laughs> get in the ark. <laughs> What's in the ark? The Ten Commandments. I want to show you why that's so important. We're going to come back to that in a moment. 
Um, it is the final message to prepare a people for the coming of Christ and a preparation for jury duty in the Supreme Court of Heaven. When do we go to jury duty? During the what? During the 1,000 years. And it is at that time, point eight, Jesus returns, the 1,000-year millennium judgment begins, the wicked are dead on earth, the righteous in heaven, the 1,000 years ends with the destruction of the wicked, John sees a new heaven and a new earth, there is no more sea of fire and no more sea in the new heavens and earth, all things are restored and the controversy is ended. So here's what we just did, we just went through, uh, I could see it in my mind like a movie, can you? We just laid out the entire storyline of the whole Bible from Genesis down to Revelation. We juiced it. That's what we just did. We just took 66 books and juiced it. And when you juice it, when you get the, when you concentrate it and you're able to get it in your mind, it is then much easier for you to give a Bible study to someone knowing where, what, the rapture fits in. How does the rapture fit in in the big theme? How does the understanding of the state of the dead fit in in the big theme? How does the changing of the commandments of God fit in in the big theme? In other words, if you rightly give your Bible studies... As you're giving your Bible studies, your Bible study contact should be able to finish your sentences for you. Why? Because he's understanding the theme and he's understanding why this can't be true. Because if this were true, it throws the whole theme out of balance. I'm studying currently with a Baptist pastor and his, uh, his you know, number one man in the church. And... I've taken them through this, this whole study, and you should see as they're going through and they're sitting back and going, ah, so the reason that this can't, no wonder. How could Jesus come back for his saints if they're already in heaven? Huh. They can't be in heaven, can they? You said it, not me. <laughs> you understand and so as they see this theme as they see the big picture when you begin to put in the little pieces they know okay ah so this piece goes here and this piece goes here and this is and and what you have they not they are now understanding the scripture in a thematic way not in a piece by piece way i would suggest to you don't give bible studies just like okay today we're going to talk about the rapture all right, next, let's see. Why did we cover? I mean, that's good. That's fine. But I believe that it would be way more effective if you presented it as a big picture. Okay, so the time we have remaining, here's what we're going to do. Let's go to, we're going to go to our next slide here. Now, you can't see, this is the study that I would give someone. You may want to write these verses down. The verse that you cannot see on there is uh, Exodus... 28, 12 through 16, Hebrews 25, verse 8, Hebrews 8, 1 through 5, and 9, 1 through 6, and then comes Exodus 25, 18, and, and 22. So don't worry about it. If you missed what I just said, I'm about to say it again. I'm going to take you through this study, so just write the verses down as we go through it, all right? Are you ready? We are going to show... <clears throat> 
Uh, Taj quoted the verse earlier. Psalm 77, 13 says what? Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. I share with the person I'm studying with. Listen, do you realize that it is impossible to understand the gospel and the storyline of salvation without understanding the sanctuary? Have you ever heard of the sanctuary? And usually their response is, huh? Sanctuary? What is that? Now that's a good thing. If you know the sanctuary. <laughs> so make sure you know the sanctuary so that you can explain it to them. So here we go. They're like, okay, well, what's the sanctuary? And I begin to share with them. I say, okay, here's what we're going to do first. We're going to go ahead and we're going to look at the rebellion, how it began in heaven, and how an understanding of the sanctuary actually helps to reveal to us what the whole controversy is over. So I take them to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, and beginning with verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 28. Verse 12, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So we see here, um, first of all, we know we're speaking about an angel because if you look in verse 14, the Bible says thou art the anointed what? Cherub or angel that covereth. So we're speaking here of, of the angel Lucifer and the Bible tells us that Lucifer was how when he was created? Perfect. Notice with me verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Right there, right there in that verse. That verse is so rich. Now you may say, Pastor, how is it rich? It just says the anointed angel cherub that covereth. Well, I'll explain to my, my Bible study contact. Do you know what this term means? And I know they don't know what it means, but... Covering cherub. What do you think that? Well, you know what a cherub is, right? They say, yes, cherub is an angel. Good. But what is a covering cherub? And I will now take them to Exodus 25. Exodus 25 and verse 8. And what I share with them is that God had given Israel this sanctuary, this blueprint we're talking about. And we'll get a little bit more into the blueprint in a moment. But for now, I'm going to just share with you that inside that sanctuary was a place called the most holy place. And inside that most holy place was a little box called the Ark of the Covenant. Have you ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant? And they'll go, yeah, something like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> okay. But they'll hear, yeah, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and what was in there again? And I, and I will, you know, basically share with them that I'll show them where, where uh, in Exodus 20 where it tells us that the Ark of the Covenant contained what? The Ten Commandments. Okay? But I want you to read Exodus 25, verse 8. Notice what Exodus 25, verse 8 says. Exodus 25. Let me get there very quickly. Exodus 25, verse 8, first of all, says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. Now jump down with me to verse 18. Verse 18 says, Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat and make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat, mercy seat shall you make the, two, the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high covering the mercy seat 
with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another, one to another, toward the mercy seat shall the, shall the faces of the cherubims be. Verse 21, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the what? Ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I will give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So here's what I share with them. Here in the sanctuary was God's, as it were, seat of uh, God's throne, his mercy seat. You know, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, right? Here you have God's mercy seat, but his mercy seat sets on top of what? The ark of the covenant. So I asked my Bible study contact, what does that mean? What does that tell us about God's throne in heaven? What is the foundation of God's throne in heaven? You tell me. The law of God. Okay, understand here. God sits on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat sits on what? The law. So I asked my contact, what is the foundation of God's throne in heaven? And you know what they will answer me 100% of the time without fail? The law. Once they answer the law, you have a Seventh-day Adventist. He is (laughs) pre-Adventist. But if the Spirit of God is working, you, you, you have someone, you, you have now given them the beginning and the ending story juiced. Okay? They say the law. Excellent. The foundation of God's throne is his law. Good point. I like that. And then I ask them, now, who were the two angels on either side of this law? What are they called? My contact will say, Covering cherubs. What does that tell us about who Lucifer was? And what his role in heaven was? You know, the word covering, it actually means defense here. To defend. I I say, what was Lucifer's role in heaven? And they'll look at me and they'll say, to defend the law of God. He, he stood as a covering, as a, as a defense over the foundation of God's throne. He was, huh, that, wow, that's interesting. He actually stood in the very presence of God, in the, very, in, the, in the midst of the very throne of God, over the very law of God. And then things begin to click. Because when we go back to Ezekiel 28, notice what it says here. Go back with me to Ezekiel 28. And I want you to notice verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till what? Iniquity. Iniquity was found in thee. What is iniquity? Sin. What verse am I going to go to next? First John 3, verse 4, which says what? Whosoever committed sin transgresses the what? 
law for sin is the transgression of the law. So I ask my contact, what did Lucifer do in heaven? They'll tell me he sinned. I say, meaning what? He transgressed the law. What law? The very law that he was supposed to be covering. So then I'll ask my contact, what was the rebellion over in heaven? You know what they'll say to me? The law of God. I have said nothing about the Sabbath. I haven't even mentioned the Ten Commandments. I've just, they have just told me the controversy in heaven began because Lucifer was against the law of God. You just juiced the whole great. Do you realize the whole controversy is still over that today? Right? But you're showing them how it began. So now when they see how it began, everything else begins to fit in place. So I then ask the question, well, how is it that Lucifer was, was able to deceive? Have you ever one? You know, Lucifer, the Bible says he deceived one third of angels. How is it possible that he could deceive one third of these angels? You know, that's Revelation what? 12 verse 4 and verse 9, right? How is it that he was able to deceive? And I'll then take him to Isaiah 14. Go with me there, if you will. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, beginning with verse 12. You all are familiar with the verse? Isaiah 14, verse 12. The Bible tells us here, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be what? Like the Most High. And I will focus in on that term, like the Most High. And I'll ask my study, I said, let me ask you something. What is the most high like? If I were to just ask you, hey, what do you think God is like? What, what would you respond to me? And I'll share with them, you know, God is love, right? God is long-suffering. God is kind. He is merciful. He is righteous. So listen to what Lucifer was saying then. Listen to his argument. His argument was this. I can be just like God, righteous, loving, kind, merciful, without obeying his law. You know what we call that today? Self-righteousness. Have you heard anyone saying today, I don't need God? In order to be good? Hey, I pay my taxes. I take care of my kids. I don't need God in order to be good. This is the very same philosophy, the philosophy that we don't need God in order to be good. In other words, Lucifer's argument originally in heaven was not, hey, angels, who wants to be evil with me? (laughs) And a bunch of angels said, um, okay. No, 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 no. Imagine, if you will, Lucifer as a master politician simply saying, listen, God's government needs some reform. If we are really free, why do we need a law dictating to us what to do? 
Why do we need a law telling us how to be righteous? All I'm saying is that there are other ways to be righteous than following God's commandments. Do you understand what we're doing with our Bible study contact? We're showing him, we're showing her. The, in other words, we're giving them all the answers necessary for when we begin to get into the intricacies, they already know, oh yeah, well that's against the, oh yeah, no, I know what happened in heaven. And so anything that reeks of that, that smells of that, I already know, no, that's what happened in heaven. I'm not going there, pastor. <laughs> And where do we know that? Where, where do we know that, that? I mean, where does that very principle go? It comes right into the church, doesn't it? That's right. So I'll say to them, to my study contact, you know, I say, you know, I, I mean, you may have even heard, and this person may even believe this, and I'll say, you may have even heard maybe even some Christians saying, we don't need to keep the law of God. And they'll be like, hmm, that was me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, why, that's crazy. I, I mean, that makes sense. Why would we? Why would we be on Lucifer's side of the argument that we don't need a law in order to be good? And I'll say, have you heard, have you heard that teaching anywhere? That you don't need the law in order that, you, that the commandments have been done away with, that we're under grace? And I'll throw all that stuff out. And they'll, be, they'll either say, no, I haven't heard it. Or they'll say, yeah, I have heard it. And um, I guess that's crazy, huh? <laughs> what are we doing? We're giving them everything they will need so that in our following studies, everything will just fall right into place. Now, when we present the Ten Commandments later on, it's not a debate or argument. It's remember what happened in heaven? Oh, yeah. Well, this is why this is so. Okay, so. How many of you following me so far? Okay. How many of you think that you could present this? Okay. So. At this point, by God's grace, amen. Um, by this point, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, these are just additional verses that tell us that even the angels, what? Sinned in heaven. That's what 2 Peter 2, 4 says. For if God spared not the angels, that what? Sinned. Which means, following the same logic, the angels went along with Lucifer's concept that what? We don't need a law in order to be, to be good. Okay. At this point, we know that the devil and his angels were what? Cast out of heaven. And I'll ask my Bible study contact, why do you think God didn't destroy the angels immediately? Why do you think that he uh, just kind of, why didn't he just judge them right then and there? And, and at this point, you know, they're like, man, that's a good question. I don't know why. Why would he do that? And this is where I'm going to bring in the importance of that individual I'm studying with. So I'll take him to Deuteronomy 19, verse 16 through 19. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you what it says. Deuteronomy 19, verse 16, 16 through 19. God is laying out a principle um, uh, to Moses. And this is what he tells Moses. He says, whenever controversy rises between two parties, there must be a, a witness or a third party, a group of people that will discern between the two parties. It would be unfair for a controversy to arise between two parties and one of those parties serve as judge over the other party. Does that make sense? Even today, if you and I have a controversy, you don't go to court and I'm the judge up there because you know you're going to do what? You're going to lose, right? <laughs> we need a third party, a jury, if you will. 
And so when we come take this back to what happened in heaven, heaven was polarized into what? Two sides. And so God needed a jury. In fact, in Ezekiel 28, you know what the Bible says of Lucifer? It says, I will lay thee before kings that they may behold you. Guess who the kings would be that God would create to serve as the jury? Us. Humanity. Now, isn't that a high calling? Pastor, show me, what do you mean we're going to serve as judges? Oh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. Know ye not that the what? That the saints will judge angels? So now my contact begins to feel the importance. Wait a minute. You mean God has called me to be a part of the jury? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here's what's the amazing thing about it. When, when Satan saw Lucifer, I mean, when, when Satan saw Adam and Eve created and that God had given them dominion, he said to himself, oh, these must be the kings that God is going to lay me before. This must be those who are going to judge me. Well, I tell you what, I know what I'm going to do. What is he going to do? He's going to attempt to what? Bribe the jury. Because if there is no jury, there can be no trial. By the way, what are the requirements for a juror? A juror, number one, uh, you know, they like to pick jurors who people who have very little knowledge about the crime, like they weren't there at all. Let me ask you a question. Where was humanity? We <laughs> when Satan rebelled. We weren't, even <laughs> we weren't even there. Number two, a juror is supposed to be a law-abiding citizen. <laughs> a law-abiding <laughs> citizen. Number three, a juror is supposed to be able to discern the difference between right and wrong. And he is not to be swayed by public opinion. So you know what happens? The devil comes and he says to them, Adam and Eve, hey, you can be like God. Like God. Isn't that the same thing he said to the angels in heaven? You don't need to obey God in order to be like... In other words, he didn't say, Adam and Eve, do you want to be evil? No, he said, you can be like God. Oh, boy. (sighs) Okay. I'm not going to be able to finish this. Um, Let me try to sum this up as quickly as I can. The word gods, you should be like gods, is the Hebrew word Elohim, which actually can be translated as judges. You want to be a real good judge? Eat from this tree. God's called you to be judges? You want to be a really good judge? Eat from this tree. They eat from the tree and what happens? They lose their ability to discern between right and wrong. They are no longer law-abiding citizens. 
God comes along and says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So what do we understand? Now, I say to my contact, the very purpose of the gospel is for Jesus to restore us as sound, law-abiding jurors. Do you want to be a law-abiding juror? And so now when we begin to share, now when we begin to share things like Daniel 7.25, and I'll share that in this particular study, I'll say, now we're not going to worry about who this little horn is, but look at what this little horn tries to do. This little horn thinks to change times and what? Laws, and they get it. Oh, wow. So this little horn, whoever it is, is trying to do the same thing that Lucifer did in heaven. So you want to make sure that no matter who tells you what, you know that the commandments of God cannot be what? And they'll say change, and I'll go, you're you're good. (laughs) And then I'll take them to Revelation 22, verse 14, which says what? Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have what? Right to the tree of life. So what is it that gets us back into heaven? Those that do what? Keep the commandments. What is it that got Lucifer kicked out? He broke them. What is it that gets us in? We keep them. I just took them through the entire Bible. The entire theme. Right there. Okay? So what we're going to do in our next study, and I will probably do this uh, at our, in my workshop at 3 o'clock today. What time is the workshop? Three. It's, it's 3 o'clock today. We're going to look at the storyline of the time prophecies in the book of Daniel and Revelation. The 1260 years, the 2300 years, the 490 years. We're going to see what is the storyline to those prophecies and how do they fit in to the big picture that we just painted. All right. Did you follow me? Is your heart burning? Are you excited to give this study to someone? That All right. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, giving us this time, Lord, to go through your word. Father, we ask that you would please just give us the wisdom and the understanding of how to present the blueprint to those who are seeking and yet not knowing where they are going. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080. That's 805-226-8080. Thank you and God bless.